Today we will begin to go through the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. This should be a pretty exciting three weeks, so hang on as Bible Study Podcast is coming at you. Hello again and welcome to Bible Study Podcast, a website that is devoted to helping you study the Word of God in depth and trying to give answers to any questions you may have. My name is Justin and I'm glad to be with you again. We're continuing on through our study of the Gospel of John as tonight we will enter new territory as we enter chapter 4. Now I think this will be an exciting few weeks as we begin the story of Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well. We'll be handling this as I believe it was written in the form of a story. So as we begin today, we'll go over some of the elements that we'll see in a story. But first, I'd like to give you a couple of brief announcements. The first is that coming in the next few weeks, you'll be hearing some exciting news about BibleStudyPodcast.org. So be listening on this podcast and on the other two host programs as well for an announcement that we tend to think is pretty exciting. Second, I'd like to thank those of you who prayed for me over the last week. As I briefly mentioned last week, I, I unfortunately had to visit the emergency room for what turned out to be a pretty bad back strain. Now I had to go to my doctor once more during the week, and thankfully I, I'm feeling much better and, and I'm now over my limit of lifting no more than 10 pounds at a time, and, and I've been able to cut back and actually stop taking pain pills the last two days, so thank you for all of your prayers and, and good wishes. I, I definitely felt them. <laughs> Finally, I would like to let you know that as I did for chapter 3, I'll be making an outline for this chapter, and that's what we'll be going through as we go through chapter 4. However, since we are treating this as a story, my outline is a little bit different looking, as it kind of takes on the look of a plot development chart. So if you'd like a copy of the outline, I'm going to be putting it onto an Excel worksheet, hopefully this weekend, and I'd be glad to email it to you if you'd let me know you'd like a copy. As always, you can reach me at BibleStudyPodcastJustin at gmail.com, whether it be for the outline, for prayer requests, which we'd love to receive and we'd love to join with you in prayer, or even praises or questions. So just let me know what's on your mind. We'll get started today with a word of prayer. Our Father, we love you and come before you to worship and praise your name. You are the one who saves us, the one who created us, and the one who loves us unconditionally. Thank you for the cross by which we may be saved. It's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen. As we begin today, I'd like to make a couple of notes about the character of a story. But first, let me remind you something we said earlier in this series, way back in the introduction. That when we say that this episode is a story, it does not mean it didn't happen historically. We're not saying that this is a fairy tale or some type of myth. In fact, I outright reject that notion and hold that the account that John gives us here is indeed historical and actually happened just as it was written. With that being said, I'd like to talk to you for a moment about the elements of a good story. Now, any good story, whether it's one that's written in a book, one that's kind of told around a campfire, you know, one that's passed down through family, no matter what type of story it is, it will always contain certain elements that make it a good story. The first of these elements is that the story begins by establishing the setting and the characters. That is, we are told where it happens, generally told when it happens, and we're told who's involved. 
Now it's here that we are brought into the story and we can begin to get a grasp of what is going on. After the setting and the characters have been brought to light, the next element is the conflict that arises. It's here that the main character of the story is faced with a dilemma, you know, something that needs to be resolved. Now this can be a conflict of a physical manner, such as a wall blocking one's entrance or, you know, a locked door, or it could be one of an emotional nature, such as a kid who's afraid to leave the house because he feels if he leaves he'll get beat up by a bully outside or something like that. It could be of a spiritual or an intellectual nature where the character is struggling to grasp some concept or some principle that they need to get. Once the conflict has been introduced, we begin what is commonly known as a rising action. It's here that the main character begins to seek the remedy to the conflict. It's when they try to find the way of deliverance. Now this is also known as the building action in some circles, as this is a time of the story when we begin to see the true nature of the characters being built. We learn who these people we're following actually are. Now this stage is often called the rising action as well because it rises us to the point of a climax. Now the climax is indeed the next stage and it's in this stage that the main character's conflict is resolved in one way or another. If this main character has a favorable resolution, we often call it a comedy. If the resolution is unfavorable, it's known as a tragedy. Now the climax is the height of the story. It's at the climax that we discover what the whole point of the story was. It's here that we may learn the theme and discover where the author was taking us throughout this whole tale. After that climax has been reached, we begin what is called falling action. During this stage of the story, the conflict is resolved for good. Now while the climax shows us the solution that must be taken, and oftentimes it begins that solution, the following action works out the consequences of that climax, of what that resolution is. So finally, we end with the conclusion, a part of the story that kind of ties up all the loose ends, and, and it really completes the picture for us. It's here that we often see the familiar words, the end. So, that is our brief treatment of a good story. Now while there are more detailed parts in all of this, we have basically just sketched out the groundwork for a good story in a way that we can read this particular story as well as any other and determine what John, or the author of any other, was trying to show us. Now I think we would do well to remember this framework, remember these elements, as we read not only John, but every other story that we run into the Bible. Oftentimes there are places in God's Word where it's been revealed to us through a story, through some kind of narrative. And, and using these elements will help us to get through those stories and help us to understand what's going on, get a grasp of the picture, be able to tell what the meaning of that story is. So, so I encourage you to you know maybe jot that down, remember it, work with it, and see if it doesn't help you in your daily study of the Bible. Now with that set up fresh in our minds, though, Let's begin our journey through this story in the beginning of John 4. So we'll begin with a look at the first three verses to help establish the setting. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. Now here we see, as we saw back in chapter 3, verse 22, that Jesus is picking up considerable popularity around Judea, and 
He's making disciples. His his disciples are actually baptizing the people. But he's gotten so popular that the Pharisees, the Jewish ruling class, has begun to take notice. You know, they're kind of sitting here and saying, hey, wait a minute, this guy's getting more people than John was getting. So as Jesus discovered this, he, he got up and he left Judea to head back up to Galilee, which is where we saw him back in chapter 2. Now, a good question at this point may be, why did he feel the need to move? I think the best answer is something that we will see later on as we study through John's Gospel. And that is that Jesus was working on the timetable of the Father. And it wasn't his time to go to the cross yet. Now, this may sound extreme at this point, but remember, at this point in time, in the history of Israel, any kind of rumbling about a Messiah that was to come would definitely bring about the potential of a political uprising, as the Jews were expecting a king to come in glory and power. They were expecting him to come and save them from the Roman occupation. But this was not the goal of our Lord, and thus he moved on before trouble began to brew at this point. So Jesus is now moving out of Judea to head back to Galilee. Let's pick up verses 4, 5, and 6. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now there were two ways which one could go from Judea to Galilee. One was the longer way, which most of the Jews actually used, where you went all the way around the Jordan River, through Persia, up to Galilee. The other was the direct way, the much shorter path that goes straight through Samaria. This was the route that Jesus elected to take. Now we'll see in a moment a little bit more about why Jews usually take the longer road, but just know for now that Jesus decided to take the shorter way. So here's Jesus heading kind of northwest up to Galilee, and and he becomes tired of the journey, and so he sits down at a well. But this is no ordinary well. This is a well that Jacob built while he dwelt near Shechem in Genesis 33. This is also that land that was given to Joseph as an extra blessing above his brothers in Genesis 48. So there is a good bit of history around this well. It's here that Jesus stops about noontime. That's about the sixth hour for the Jews. And, and so the stage is now set. We have seen the setting, and now we're about to meet the characters of this particular episode. In the following verses of our passage today, we will be introduced to the two main characters of the story, and we'll see the conflict laid out before us. So we'll begin in verses 7 and 8 to meet our second character and see how Jesus is alone with her. Verse 7 and 8 read, There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So we meet a woman of Samaria who has come to draw water from the well upon which Jesus now rests. We also learn that the disciples have gone into the local city, basically to visit the grocery store, and apparently have left Jesus alone by the well. So it's with this setup that we begin to see the story take shape. The two characters are set, the action is about to begin. Before the action does start, we learn a little something about the woman in the story. You see, Jesus approached the woman by asking her to give him a drink. You know, she was already drawing water from the well. Well, her response is somewhat interesting, as we'll see in verse 9. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, 
How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. You see, the woman recognizes something here that is incredibly odd to her. In that culture, it was extremely rare for a man to address a woman by themselves. Further, Jesus was a Jew, and she was a Samaritan. Now, this issue of the Jews having no dealings with the Samaritans goes back a long way into Old Testament times. Back to when the king of Assyria had brought people in from all over the world into the city of Samaria, which he had taken captive, he had overrun. Now, Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel after the two kingdoms had split. What resulted was when the Assyrian king brought in all these people from all over the world to mix in with the Sumerians, they basically formed this race of half-breeds. You know, they were half-Jewish, half-whatever else. Now, this was a political agenda for the king of Assyria as this gave them less of a reason to rebel as they would be rebelling against their own family. But, in terms of their relationship with Israel, it made them a people that were looked down upon. They were the half-breeds. They were people you didn't associate with. So, this is the reason why Jews a lot of times would walk all the way around the Jordan River just to get so they wouldn't have to go through Samaria. You know, to show you the distaste that the Jewish people have for the Samaritans, a rabbinic law in A.D. 66 actually stated that Samaritan women were always in a state of menstruation, making them continually unclean, so a Jewish man could not even be around them without becoming unclean. In other words, there is some credence to the fact that Jews did not associate, or at least as some versions note, they don't drink from the same cups as Samaritans. They don't associate at all with them. Now, as we can see, though, this woman is obviously amused by what she perceives as just another person looking down on her. Her answer could almost be restated as, You mean you, a Jew, an up-high Jew of all people, would step down to ask me, a lowly Samaritan, for water? You know, it's a challenge that's very sarcastic that's laid upon Jesus from a woman who, as we shall see in the coming week, has been through some rough times in her life. It's not surprising to see her kind of shoot back a little sarcastic answer pretty quick. But what is perhaps surprising, what's more interesting, is the way that Jesus responds. Because he doesn't respond with a bite. But rather, he appeals to what she is doing and gives us the conflict of the entire story. Here in verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. You see, Jesus captured the woman's curiosity as he notes, If you knew who you were talking to, and you knew the gift of, he could give you, you would ask me for living water. Now this is a very interesting development. As Jesus redirects the woman by not defending his Jewish roots, but instead by appealing to his own divinity, he basically tells the woman that I have a gift from God to give you, and it is living water. Now this concept of living water is something that could be taken in two senses. The first, more obvious sense, is to mean that there's running water. You know, maybe the water seems to be alive. It's living. However, it's not this sense that Jesus is speaking, but rather a second sense in which he appeals to the woman. This is the same sense that was spoken of in Jeremiah 2, verse 13, when God told Israel that they had forsaken their fountain of flowing water and dug their own wells. It's the flowing water that's spoken of in Zechariah 14 
for when the day of the Lord will come, and there will be a flowing water that goes. In other words, Jesus is telling the woman that he can give her life as only God can give, eternal life. This idea will become the conflict that she must deal with. What are these living waters he's talking about, and how can I get them? You see, it's from here on out that the woman seeks to discover what the living waters truly are and attempts to find out how to get them. This will be what we see develop through the rising action that will begin next week and will see magnificently displayed in our climax. So with that being said, that's all the ground that we'll cover for now. But be sure to join us next week as we begin to see what these living waters are and how to get to them. Until we meet again, may God bless and keep you. Stars will cease to shine